started now hey everybody and welcome to a brand new episode of the dead dad comedy pod uh as always Yay. i'm one of your hosts winston hodges and with me is our effervescent lovely very funny amazing good friend of mine uh amber wow. hendrix how are you amber oh i'm great thank you yeah it's good to see was... you it's a very generous introduction well, i haven't seen you <laughs> like... oh yeah <laughs> That's what I have to do to get compliments. Is disappear. Disappear. <laughs> uh, but with us today, uh, Amber, I brought a very special guest, uh, a gentleman that I, I I think I've seen him a couple times on Zoom, but the last the first time I got to speak to him was I saw him do a set. It was a set about um, something that he's going to speak with us today. It was funny. It it really reminded me of working through material when I was going through the stages of grief. And uh, he's a very good comic, so I'm really excited to have him. Uh, we have Rich Gampko. Yay. Yay. Oh, yay. <laughs> yay. Great to be here. Great. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's, that's just like my, my default reaction because I'm yay. happy to, to have you. <laughs> Now, how do we do this? Is there a little like comedy foreplay? We start off like, where, how did you get started? Da -da 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 -da. Oh, yeah. Then we start. Oh, yeah. Is that uh, oh, yes. yeah. I'm going to totally uh, ask you how you get started in comedy because our listeners want to know. And I mean, I want to know. I think that's very interesting. Okay. So what's in, well, I. Uh, and wait, where are you? Where are you based? I am based in New York City. I live in, oh, cool. okay. I live in Jersey City, which is like the, the Brooklyn of, of New Jersey, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Brooklyn is the Jersey City of New York. There you go. Oh, is that true? Doing. I used to I, live in Brooklyn. I affirm, I affirm myself. I live okay. in identity and I express with joy. Uh, yeah, I... I, um, I was born in, a, in Chicago. I grew up in a very small town. Uh, I came out when I was 14 to my Catholic parents. I'm not, mm -hmm. only, not only am I gay, I'm not going to medical school. I came to New York. But went <laughs> Double whammy. Yeah. And then I came to New York, studied fashion design at FIT. Um, oh, wow. It's basically like just, you know, it's a gay university. <laughs> you, you earn Dang. your glitter. You earn your glitter. You live the glitter. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I had a, there was a talent show, a competition in the dorms. And so I thought, I'm always fooling around in class. Why don't I do some jokes? And we were, you know, you're in the basement in the doorway outside of the, the laundry room into the regular whatever room. And everyone's on the, in their pajamas on the floor. And I killed College. it. I killed it. And wow. I was like, I have a superpower. Like I felt like Spider-Man. <laughs> and then I, I, I was kind of, as a kid, I always played, you know, we would crawl the walls as Superman in our, or Spider-Man is in our hallways. And it gave me that same feeling of, oh my God, I can really do this. And, uh, you know, I ended up doing all the talent shows, which is a very, it's a very specific bubble. F, you know, it's a design school. So like, <laughs> yeah. it's a very skewed and very like, like there were a few openly straight men at FIT. And then there were also a few openly gay. I mean, people were gay, but no one was out because yeah. it was like AIDS era and people wanted to be, if you were gay, people were afraid to invest in you because Perry Ellis died of AIDS and no one wants to put money in a gay man. Uh, All this oh, kind wow. of like, you know, that was like a whole, that's how I am so old. I'm like Lincoln and then me, right? <laughs> <No>. <laughs> but, but in those days, that was the idea. Now it's like, yeah. you know, be sort of as multi-diverse to be on a design show as possible. But in those days, it was like so conservative. So 
mm-hmm. that was kind of the, the setting of it. But I, I did the talent show and I just felt like, oh my God, this is my calling. And at the same time, uh, I had got an opportunity, I set up by my, my, a friend of mine from high school, or actually from since kindergarten, uh, her godmother was Judy Tenuta. Okay. So I ended up doing costumes for her. That's pretty wow. cool. That's I'm actually costume. really cool. Like I'm an under eight, I wasn't even old enough to be in the clubs that she was in, right? <laughs> and I'm like making all these costumes and, you know, doing the Howard Stern show and, you know, making a gift for Joan Rivers' dog, an outfit for her dog. You know, all these kind of quirky things that a gay man would do if you were the costume designer for a love goddess, you know. And eventually I became like her backup dancer, love slave you know kind of go go my, my stage name was miss saigon i had all these head oh, wow. and harnesses and all this crazy sort of gender fuck um stuff and in the, and in those days in the 80s and 90s that was revolutionary and crazy yeah. and you know we'd be in vegas and i'd be bringing, bringing guys on stage and making them do like uh ha 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 here's some like lingerie and whatever you have a gay marriage between two men on stage i mean that's how old it was where we're, we're like making straight men uncomfortable by introducing the idea of homosexuality. Yeah, it's just, what is this? <laughs> What's this? What's that? You know? that's, just like, that's just so funny as like, uh, it's just hearing this and like, uh, I'm absolutely astounded that you're like, yeah, people weren't openly gay at the fashion school because it's just <laughs> like, I'm just picturing straight-laced people being like, no clothes will be designed by a gay man for me. Right, right, <laughs> right. right. You you have to understand, like, we'd be sitting in design class, and I remember one, this one guy, he's like, oh, my God, I just bought, like, nine yards of Duchess Satin. My wife's going to look amazing in this dress. And I'm like, uh, you're going to look amazing in that dress. Yeah, you're going to look really good in it. She's going to look fine. You're She's going to look okay. You're going to look fierce. You're going to look <laughs> but, you know, but, but it's it was a different time. I mean, yeah. that, look, people would go to the cafeteria and they'd have like a wedding guys with like a wedding veil and tater tots. I mean, it was people were still, <laughs> you know, so old, funny. Yeah, people <laughs> people are so we're still very gender kind of non-normative, and everyone was as fashionable and edgy as possible. But they weren't necessarily gay. I mean, they yeah. were gay, but they weren't. You yeah. know, it was, it was this weird kind yeah. of because um, we all wanted to get that 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 uh, we all wanted to win the design competitions, and in those days. Who could be the most commercial? I mean, still, it's the who could be the most. No one, no one wouldn't design. You know, even you know, uh, uh, with the, you know, Project Runway. You still have, you're still designing for like the Gap, or you're still winning an award <laughs> to design for these. Like, you know, you you have to sell twenty thousand dozen of this particular design, and you're not going to do it by having like one sleeve and like a you know, uh, uh, you know, half a skull and uh, some. Weird, you know what I mean? Like, it's not. It'll be like, ooh, really fun color and a little pop. Pop of color, like, like the color on this color. lime, yeah. pop of color, <laughs> one lime part of the color, and it's just like, ooh. Or, or like if it was your hoodie, I would just put like a contrasting drawstring, like ooh, lime. <laughs> yeah, it's just too, yeah, it's the little lime. And take off that hideous logo, right? <laughs> right, right. We rip the logo, or if we did the logo, we do it sort of asymmetric untarsia body wrap. Ooh, you know? yes. Something that would be, you know, marketable. Yeah, edgy, but still commercial, right? Yeah. Whereas we were like, oh, we're crazy. We're gonna be like. <laughs> Safety pins. One, you know, this is before. This is way before Lady Gaga. I stored meat in my illegal uh, refrigerator in my because you're not allowed to have refrigerators. I had a, a legal one hidden, and it had all this raw meat. And this woman, Carol uh, from South Africa, made a bustier out of raw meat, which was like wow, way before Gaga. Right? That's crazy. I went out 
clubbing. Everyone, every every Saturday, everyone had to make some weird outfit. You know, the kind of pressure of like runway churning out club wear. Yeah. Oh, we got all be ready the, for the weekend. We got to yeah. be ready to go out and just look fucking great at whatever club we go to. That's well, isn't that like how it kind of happened? Though, like you know, like counterculture kind of gets like co opted and like. So you have like there are people doing that sort of thing, and then you have like your lady. Not to say like I don't know any. I don't know a lot about Lady Gaga, but um, yeah. And then like someone like that comes around and like does it. And she invented the meat bra. Yeah, <laughs> and, and we know she didn't. She didn't. You heard I'm, it here. Stole Look, it. I, I am a huge believer, follower, and disciple or whatever of Lady Gaga. Disciple of Gaga. I don't know because I still I'm single now. I gotta like meet gay men. I can't just destroy Gaga and I lose my demographic. That's, yeah, you're just on a. I'm yeah, sorry, I said that. Uh, Lady Gaga stole like, meat. So it's like, oh, I love Gaga, and you're like, you know, she stole that meat shit, right? <laughs> <laughs> although, although Babylon seems sort of a knockoff of Vogue, but I want to get into that. I don't want to go into that right now. Yeah, I don't want to go into that. That's third date. That's you know, that, that, yeah. That's, that's, I really don't want to go into those sort of. I want to be able to. Yeah, be just kid. I want to connect with you. I don't want yeah. to connect with the Gaga drama. I want to have like intimacy with myself, <laughs> with a human being, just well, person to person. Well, the Tanuta thing is crazy as well. That 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 that's so fascinating to me because I was introduced to her when I was like seven watching Space Ghost Coast to Coast. And she was the first guest I saw on Space Ghost Coast to Coast. And I literally remember having the thought as a seven-year-old, what the hell am I watching? Ah! <laughs> and I loved it. I, I became fascinated with her for a period of time. Just So, so that's so that's so cool to me because I, I just thought like she was just so different and weird and unique and just like very different. It's a very different. It was the first weird thing i really remember seeing as a kid in the 90s because i'm from like the rural south and i'm watching fucking like space ghost so to me that's weird in counterculture and then you see judy <laughs> Janita and you're just like holy shit dude. Right, right i mean imagine i'm in a i'm in las vegas in a hotel room and judy tenuda and emo phillips are making me pancakes that's insane like you i'm, I'm this little kid i'm like they, a, i'm a they good well, it was like they were serving me the whatever the hotel had. Oh yeah, yeah. That's like a gay. That's like a gay. You're like version. you pick dumb dumb. They didn't make them from scratch. That's like a gay version of that Chappelle sketch where Prince makes pancakes. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> Judy Chino and Emma Phillips are serving a gay, a small gay Asian boy pancake <laughs> while he shows. I'm sewing. I'm basically a sweatshop, and they're feeding me. Vegas pancake. Yeah. <laughs> Making dog costumes. Amazing. Uh, oh my god. Wow. I mean they, cool. they they were really formative in terms of you know witnessing them, you know, they were living they were in the the peak of that that genre of that period of like yeah i want to call it the renaissance the renaissance of comedy or you know she was i remember making a costume for her they were launching comedy central in times square and they're they were hoisting her up on the where they have the ball and like her hair scrungie got caught in the cable there were no unions there were no unions rigging this right so her hair is caught over times square you know on a cable and we're like oh she, she had to like sort of pull her own hair out to like be able to get lowered it was like it was crazy yeah Yeah, judy and emo that's like that's 
in my mind, when you get to like avant-garde weird comedy, as far as you can get into it while making it still accessible to the general person. Like my, like I, like my dad still thought like Bruno a seven-year-old wins No, for <laughs> yeah. real though. Like he literally like any farther in the weird spectrum, it's like, what is this? But Emo Phillips, great joke writer, Judy Tanuta, right. it's like a perfect amount of weird. And you're like, this is great. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And they were actually a couple, but no one, they weren't openly out as a couple. Just because of the business or whatever. I had no idea. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah isn't it? Ooh, when, not a couple, dead... Yeah, there's all this other. I mean, now, like, you know, it, it's not so controversial, but. Yeah. <laughs> I was calling it a dead dad scoop. Yes, we get, we get hot <laughs> news. We go to dead dad scoop on the show. Dead dad scoop alert. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So... Yeah, that, that was the start of it. But I, th- I was just like the backup dancer and. Uh, I mean, I had I had done some th- you know street theater in New York, and I, I got my photo in the New York Post, and that's I didn't tell Judy for the first two years that I did comedy because I was like terrified, like it felt like, <laughs> it felt like all about Eve, like I'm just gonna like take over. I mean, I'm not gonna yeah. take over her legacy, but as a a, a little teen, I was like not even I, I was no, I wasn't even legal age. I didn't I didn't have any concept of like boundaries or or someone's sense of self like she had plenty of sense of self i'm like i'm really gonna like destroy your career by whatever but but i was also so catholic and codependent i'm like oh i'm not worthy i'm not worthy i'm gonna be bad if i own my power i'm bad because it's gonna hurt other people it's all this old wow yeah so i i showed her the photo said oh well you should you should be my love slave for new year's eve in chicago at the vic theater and i'm like that sort of (laughs) launched this whole you know world and she had to she had to give me when we were in when Caroline's opened in, in Times Square, uh, she's like, Oh, we have to give you a Broadway name. We can't just be rich. It has to be your Miss Saigon. <laughs> so there was my like I got into some sort of a gender fuck drag name. But uh I, I didn't tell her I did stand up and I um I you know, I had gotten a booking. Someone saw me at the Eagle Tavern. Oh my god, that's really old. That's like it used to be where comics was. Before comics was comics, it's no longer there. There was a little bar next to it. And a guy saw me and booked me for this like college thing in the city. And it's like, I get up there and it's like an Eddie Murphy knockoff, a Dice Clay knockoff. And they were both saying horrifically misogynistic things. Like violence against women and the audience is like, hoo, hoo. Yeah, loving it. That's the difference. Is you still hear it today, but I can't imagine hearing it and then looking around and being the only person not into it. <laughs> right, 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 right. I mean, the whole room was like, ooh, ooh. so I get up there and I'm just, oh, I'm not doing like RuPaul's Drag Race. I just didn't open with Kicker and the Bleep, right? Yeah, yeah. Right? So I'm just like, hey, God, God. Miss Saigon, and I want to talk to you. <laughs> Fashion. Yeah. I'm, I'm here to talk to you about a glitter timeshare. Yeah, a glitter timeshare. I mean, I just said, hey, guys, how you doing? But all they heard was like rainbows, cock, unicorns. I mean, I didn't say any of those words. But because I didn't assault a woman in a a scenario the minute I started, they're like, what's up with this guy? (laughs) One guy grabs a chair and he's like, get off the stage, faggot. Oh, my God. It was like like the Matrix. I'm hot, sweaty, and I'm like doing this little like move. It's sort of like, but I don't know. I still don't really know exactly what happened, but the whole room was like, 
kill the faggot, kill oh them, or some kind of. Because if one person says that, unless yeah. you join in the chant, you are also gay. You know, yeah. <laughs> so the whole room is yeah, like, that's oh. how it is. Well, they're so, so afraid. Were you terrified? You look around. You're like, if you don't say it, you are. <laughs> I I was so scared. I was like, my my body was like sweating. Like I was shaking, and my ears. Yeah. Like I had an allergic reaction. My ears were so hot. I don't think I could hear. Yeah. I, I couldn't quite hear what was happening. I just felt, I'd never felt so unsafe. I mean, I was living at FIT in like the rainbow bubble where like unicorns are galloping around, you know, and then I'm in this universe where I'm like, I thought New York was all this like completely like, you know, it wasn't, even, we didn't have the word inclusive, but no one cared. And if, yeah. you know, so there I was like, everybody cared and they really didn't like me. So I remember like finishing, trying to finish a set. I, I don't think wow. I finished, but I turned to the booker and I grabbed the money and I just went down the fire escape. I just went down <laughs> oh, no. and I just, and I did do comedy for like 22 years. Oh my Jeez. gosh. And I was yeah. like, I just said, well, you know, and it wasn't, and I realized after all this time, I was like, it wasn't that he said, get off the stage faggot. It's that I said, get off the stage to myself. Yeah. Yeah. That was yeah. like this. In, I, I mean, I was doing a one. I had a one man show. I won awards in the New York Fringe. I toured it in colleges. But it was like a one man show, a little bit of jokes. But like, I didn't have to like risk just doing straight stand up. Yeah. I mean, or you know, pure stand up. It was a yeah, mixture. It was not straight stand up. It was definitely not straight stand up. <laughs> it was like a lot of penetration, and it was not. It was consensual, but it wasn't. You know, yes. Traditional. Very, yeah, very. <laughs> I mean, traditional is is a is a is a heteronormative term. Oh sure. The oppression of the gays, but uh, <laughs> I speak to you in my bro voice. It's yeah. oppression of the gays. Yeah. That's my that's my internalized homophobia, toxic masculinity voice. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah so, um, but I turned uh, I, at a certain birthday. I was just like, God, if I if I die today, what would I regret? I'm like, oh my God, a guy in a fake FUBU jacket told me to get off the stage. And I agreed. And so I went back and I was like, I'm going to do like 90 mics in 90 days. Like I'm going to do the whole rehab. And I just, I fell in love with it. And it was like, you know, I never turned back. I That's never awesome. turned back. I love yeah, picturing you great. 22 years later, just still remembering what he wore. <laughs> I mean, gay trauma. You're in a knockoff, and you're telling me to get off the stage. No, I just picture you're just like just furious because you're at this design school and you're like, and he had a knockoff Fubu on. Knockoff? Like, who does this guy think? Shit. I was too scared. To, I was too scared to throw shade. You don't want to throw shade in a room like that. You just want to oh, no. like you want to throw a smoke bomb, like a squid ink, with the whole room, and then get the fuck out. And then hit the fire escape. <laughs> right, exactly, exactly. I just, it was, it was so traumatic. I didn't even look, I never yeah, looked. Yeah, I cannot that. imagine. I never like talked, I didn't talk about it when I got back to the dorms. It was like, it didn't happen. Yeah, uh, I, I think mean, like, yeah, I mean, to have that, to have an experience like that where you're like, your physical safety is so compromised. Like, you know, I think a lot of people can relate to, to feeling uncomfortable somewhere, but yeah. that's very different. It, you know, and the thing that was weird is like, this is New York City. I just thought, you know, people are, I, I had gone to, I think at that point, I must have already gone to a pride parade. Or, a, well, they weren't parades then. They were marches with people with sheets and, and like shoe polish. There was no, there were no chase Manhattan Bank floats. There was no TD, right. you know. Yeah, that's the co-optation again. Talking right. About no opting. Yeah, yeah. And now, now it just looks like. 
you know, the Macy's Thanksgiving parade with abs. And, and, yeah, and dude. You know, Right. It's like it's like Snoopy with a washboard. <laughs> yeah, Snoopy and washboard and you know, in a in a consensual act with Linus. Who is always yeah, in Spike? Ah! Right. Spike was a little edgy. Spike I liked I liked Snoopy's cousin Spike. Yeah. Right. I just throwing that out there. <laughs> that was the diversity. That was Snoopy diversity, right? Yeah. Diversity. Spike. That's the only the little throwaway, like, yeah, he was into the leather scene, but yeah. we left it. Since he was a dog, we didn't have to really address. Yeah, just like a little light leather scene beagle. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Well, they, well, your comedy journey sounds extremely fascinating. I mean, like, to take a 22-year break and to, like, come back and to just really – it's awesome that you were able to recognize, like, what will I regret? And this is it. And you got yeah. back into it. But it's like – I don't know, hearing that journey says – fucking amazing like you did so much and it's like very like but be like between the judy Tanuta stuff and designing costumes and like backup dancers and miss saigon just to like the one uh, man show that's unbelievable i yeah i can't believe i lived i mean how old am i i mean how many lives have i had you know <laughs> I, I remember like, how... i like that you were like at a certain birthday oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah once we stopped we stopped counting at 100 and go back yeah backwards <laughs> Benjamin Button it. Yeah. Right, right. I'm a baby. Uh, but I remember when I was doing these shows in Las Vegas with her when they were they were doing like a month run. They were gonna try to do like three months or extend it, like a extended Vegas show, and I and I guess it didn't happen. And I just remember getting my cousin worked at Budget Rental and I got like a red convertible and I just drove around the West Coast, you know, riding a a, a convertible and a credit card. It was like the worst combination. <laughs> I had a triple process bleach blonde hair. I'm just driving all over doing my little Priscilla. I went to the, you know, I went to to Grand Canyon, unfurled one of my crazy showgirl outfits, took a lot of photos, scared a lot of tourists, thrilled, thrilled a lot of tourists too. They're like, oh my God, like a photo, what is that? Oh, yeah. You know? But um, it was, you know, it wasn't until, and this is, I, I mean, as much as I want to like strangle my parents, at one point my mom's like, you have to get the job and you have to wear pants. You can't be a showgirl, showgirl. You need to get a mortgage. You need to you need to have a, a corporate job and qualify in two years, fixed rate 30 year, get the condo, <laughs> you know. And I, I actually, you know, I remember doing that and like every Friday going home and crying, going, I hate my life. I Aww. hate these pants. I just want to, <laughs> no. Because when I showed up for this job interview, it was with an old, an old boss of mine. And I show up in like, and our and our Armani suit and Valentino's. I was like completely like amazingly dressed. And she saw me because they had opened DKNY had opened like a new men's shirting line. And she was like heading it. She wanted an assistant, and which is great. It was like a dream little easy since I already worked with her. But I remember showing up and she couldn't stop laughing. She's like, "We have to go into we have to go into this like storage room for like a half an hour because she could not <laughs> stop laughing." She's like, "I haven't seen you with this much clothing on in, in a decade." <laughs> She's like, I can't, I can't bring you into the design director. I just have to get it out of my system first. With you laughing, it's like, hey, look who I brought. <laughs> look, he's wearing clothing. You can't tell. <laughs> oh man. So yeah, so that was that, you know. And then I'm here living, living this weird comedy life in pandemic and d doing all, you know. I, I mean, I love Winston. 
Uh, and then I met Winston at a, at <laughs> rando, at a, he was, ran, Winston was one I rando comedy Zoom hookups. Yeah, one of the ran. <laughs> rando. Winston, a.k.a. Rando Hodges. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. But I'm, but like I said, I can't remember if we mentioned it before the episode or whatever, but like, um, I'd seen you before and thought you were funny, but the, but I hadn't seen you in a while. And then you came on this mic recently and you did a set about, your partner passing and it was really raw and it was reminded me so much of like what I was feeling when I did material about my dad passing away like so close to it like the rawness and the energy really shine through like you're like holy fuck this person is it didn't feel performative if that makes sense oh not at all because I'm like I just said I cannot live in fear of this this like the kind of the kind of grief I've never felt this kind of like, it's like this, something just tore open my body. Like it's like falling off a cliff and you don't stop tumbling down the side yeah. and it just keeps tearing you and tearing you. And I'm like, fuck, it's not, I mean, it would eventually end. I would just get up, go back to the top of the cliff and then just fall back down. Yeah, no. So kind of like the, the, the convulsions my body would go through. Like I, it's like I swallowed a poison and every cell was like doing this gigantic like ab you know, contraction, my whole body's contracting to like, uh, I, I don't know, just cope or, like expel, or, or yeah. expel the kind of sadness. Yeah. And I was like, you know, I, 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 you know, and Jessica Kirsten's one of my favorite comics, Marion Groden, they're all, they always told me like, just tell the truth and get up there and use that truth, you know? And I always watch them when there's shit happening to them. Like, I'm like, they got up and talked about it. Yeah. Right. And I'm like, I know for me, like that's the free. I mean, because I've been doing Zoom for a year, running these weekly shows, and I'm like, we can't pretend that we're not on. We're all we're yeah. not on Zoom because it's fun. Yeah. We're on Zoom because there's a sniper called COVID, and we're hiding inside. Yeah, yeah. You know, when you start in that truthful place, then it's like, then people want to. I don't know. I just feel like I'm in the truth, and I can be in a zone. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you can go to. I mean, I've had people in the audience go, no, you can't make jokes about COVID. But I, you know, this is early. Where I was still a little timid about, well, what can I talk about? What can I not? And I still did, but you know, it's sort of like a self fulfilling prophecy. I'm like, well, now I, you know, now you really can. Now I really can. And yeah. you know, my partner Sandy Gunner, um, I, you know, I met him in the '90s, off oh. of, off of, uh, uh, this is before Grinder or any of these ridiculous apps. No, I say, what was? It was dial real life. This is this is dial up the first like gay men's sort of dating. It was really dating. It was like well, before that there was brunch buddies, which was a number you called and they interviewed you. That sounds like a sitcom, right? Exactly. <laughs> or sounds like perfect strangers. Yeah. Right, right. Brunch buddies. So, but brunch buddies was still in the old school where you had to dial a number and okay. like whatever. But but Edwina was the new website, and it was like. You, it was, you know, this is still dial-up land. So it's very, very primitive. But basically, if you think of like a, the cartoon character look like a cross between Wilma Flintstone and Dame Edna. Ooh. Cat glasses, kind of weird hair. And she, and she was, was like the matchmaker. Yeah, she was this is kooky, like sort of school marm, you know, with white gloves setting, you know, and just, you know, very simple cartoon. It wasn't really yeah. high, high, high def graphics, but you would answer questions. And basically she would say, this gentleman, Cola, and this gentleman and it sort of set you up and it was cute oh, wow so we had like a date or two 
and he pulled out pot and I ran and ran. I mean, you understand. You have to understand. I grew up in a very small town in Illinois and people wouldn't drink from the water fountain in my town because I was openly gay in my small town and people were like you're gonna get us all aids we're all gonna die but it's like so so i come from this whole like weird kind of hyper vigilance but i myself was also like well i don't know how to determine whether or not a person is going to be an appropriate date but if he's doing drugs and he's probably drinking he's probably having unprotected sex he's probably got aids now or he's probably going to get cancer or have heart, heart heart condition and die so I can't date anyone who doesn't eat perfectly healthy and live, you know, which was this weird hypervigilance to protect me from yeah, loss, sure. from, from yeah. abandonment and loss. Yeah, and so yeah. the irony is that, you know, then after I ran away from him in 2012, 2013, he saw me in a showcase, Eastville, thanks to Laughing Buddha and Jeff Lawrence. Uh, it was like an industry showcase. And then after you do the showcase, you talk to the industry people. And so Sandy was there talking to each comic. And I'm like, ooh, this guy's cute. And I'm like, oh, my God, I'm married. <laughs> And this is my business. I will not be messing around here. So I'm very, and I, you know, I've met a lot of hot people in the business. You just go like this, you know, you just, you activate the shield. You know. Right. I mean, when I was with Judy, I was with Judy. I remember we were in Las Vegas. You know how many backup dancers there are in Las Vegas? And I was like. Probably a lot. Yeah, the show before we would do these like shows in between our shows was like Kenny Care, this big drag queen, and all the male backup dancers would be there in their strings, you know, G strings backstage. I'm like, but I was, you know, I was even then I was like, no, I'm here to work. I want to make it. I just like activate the shield and, you know, focus in. I was also cat, I was raised very Catholic, so I was saving myself for marriage. I wasn't about to just like. I mean, later on, I definitely slept around and whatever. But at this time, it was still... Yeah, this is for marriage and God. Yeah. Right, right. This is for the glory of God and monogamy. Uh, but, um, yeah, so I met him in 2012. I worked with him as a, a talent. And uh, so 2012 to 2016. In 2016, I ran into him in a recovery room. And that's when we're like, oh, well, we should... And I'm going like this, which is like, you know, let's go eat. It's fellowship is a big thing you do. You hang out. And you get sober. You get like, because yeah. I was emotionally, I mean, I was in a marriage uh, with a partner, a gay marriage. We were married and everything, but we were in an open relationship, which is for some people is great. But for me, I was like, why am I obsessed with this one unavailable person that I tried to date before I got married, but is married to someone else. And I can't like yeah. this, I'm orbiting them, you know? Can I, can I ask a question? Yeah. So at what point after you all, met again in 2012 did you like you didn't recognize him at first but like well, that's all... i never knew he never told me oh that's crazy <laughs> he did not tell me until because you kind of ghosted him right like the, no one was well, using that term but yeah so well, ran away this is free ghosting <laughs> I ran away. I scampered off. No way! Yeah. I pictured a big dramatic exit <laughs> with flowing scarves and wings. I think I was just crying and I ran home. <laughs> He's going to die! He's going to die and I'm going to be alone! Yeah. You know, I, I was just afraid that anyone... Because, you know, look, it's New York. No, people, I get it. I get people it. have died. People when I was college died of o- o- overdose. Yeah. It, it, you know, club kids. And, you know, they were these were fabulous, beautiful, creative men. And I'd, yeah. you'd see these crazy things happen. And also I was like, you know, at that point, 
you know, there were people, I was volunteering at the Manhattan Center for Living, which is Marianne Williamson, before she was, you know, a presidential candidate. She was doing work with the gay community and anyone living with life-challenging illnesses. And so I was watching people as, a, as an energy worker, a body worker, helping people, you know, in whatever life-challenging situations. But I'm watching people die in front of me. Yeah. So I'm already like, I'm not dating anyone who's got some sort of, let's just cavalier mess around. I, I've, I've watched people lose their mind, go into like, you know, come sort of AIDS related dementia. dementia. Yeah. So I'm like, I am not messing around. I don't care how hot you are. I'm out of here. So I was like, I protected myself. Yeah. Yeah. It was a no, little it makes, over, a little too, it makes sense, but it was a little, like a little far. I mean, butter, I think butter is okay. I mean, it's okay to have some butter. But um, I was trying to like be super, you know, I'm a straight A student, spelling bee champ, math team champ. I'm not going to stop at like being the, the champ at being yeah. gay. I'm going to be double A plus gay. I'm the best gay. <laughs> I am so good at being gay. Gay My plus. Average, you got yeah, gay, gay plus. plus. <laughs> gay plus. Well, now it's LGBT plus, but anyway. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, so we were hanging out. I ran into him in the room. So then we were hanging out all the time. And like I was texting him these really long, ridiculous texts of all the inappropriate things I was detoxing from. And were you all married at this book. point when you were texting? I was or... married with my pre my 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 first husband. That's what I'm saying. So your first yeah. so your first husband. So during this time period when you were both in recovery together and hanging out, it was just as friends while you were married. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. And you know, it was very helpful because he had a lot more time, and I just needed people to talk to. I mean, I had been in Al-Anon since 2001, and I. You know, I come from a workaholic, you know, emotionally, physically abusive family. My parents loved me. They wanted the best for me. But these are immigrant parents. You're supposed to beat your kids and shame them. They will not make it unless you t tell them they're worthless, unless they achieve. Like, that's that's the coal and fossil fuel of Asian overachievement. That's what we were taught. And that's what my parents had. They lived, you know, in squalor, in rice paddies, in complete poverty. You know, two, 14 kids in one family and... I don't know. There was like twelve or fourteen. The other, like two. My my grandfather had two families, but only one that we knew about officially. You know, like wow. all this like crazy stuff. Until I was on the I was on the road in Jacksonville, Florida, and someone Facebooked me. Hey, I'm your cousin from your your grandfather. I'm like, what do you mean? Dad only has five. Oh no, actually, he has ten in that family, but from two different mothers. Damn. <laughs> I'm like, oh, I thought mom had the big family of fourteen, but you know, there's a lot and of those. Right. Yeah. That, another. Yeah. Dad. Dad. Well, you know, there's no Instagram in the rice paddy, okay? So no one knows what's happening in the other town. There's no download. Just walk, you know, walk a mile that way and no one's going to know. I think about that all the time, how easy it used to be to just have more than one family. Right, because right. everyone wants to know how to have more than one family now, right? Yeah, yeah. It's all I, I want multiple one is, wives. And one is one too many. I'm like, I got another business trip. <laughs> right. Yeah, I'm going to go to another rice paddy and just do some Right, right. <laughs> Like, you know, Daddy's so busy. Right, right. He's so he working so hard for us. Working, working so hard to provide for two families. <laughs> so y'all are hanging out all the time uh, in recovery together. At what point did it transition from this supportive, like, friendship slash whatever, whatever it was at that time until, like, I guess how long was that going on until it was three years of being like, like I went to my divorce. I was, I was dating slash sleeping with this unavailable guy who played really good tennis but you know, and sandy was good at tennis so we all would go play tennis in the tennis league and and sometimes sandy would sub for me because i'd be on the road doing shows so like in the gay league I'm like well go go sub for me go play with unavailable you know that person 
<laughs> that I'm still chasing and having, and, and I'm smoking pot with that guy and having unprotected sex because if I give myself to you and give up all my boundaries, then you'll love me and I'll, and I'll finally find, you know, it was, I was yeah. a rebound. I'd ended a, I was the first part of the first same sex couple to be legally married in the state of New Jersey. Wow. I'm the first to be legally divorced. You know, like, it was just all this, all this pioneering. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> I, uh, and it's funny because I was 20, 19 years younger than my partner. And he was like, I don't know, 10, 15 years younger than his previous partner, who was part of the original Stonewall. I mean, it's, you could That's like, wild. all these little like the Toronto and uh, uh, oh God, Angels in America. I can't think of the name now. Tony Kushner. Um, all, all these, uh, no, Larry Kramer, Larry Kramer, where I'm hanging out with Larry Kramer and I'm like the youngest kid in the room, but there's all these intergenerational, I mean, the gay generation yeah. of wow. whatever. Anyway, so that I came from that. It was a triumph of like fighting for equality. And I'm like, well, I also have the right to divorce and yeah. equitable distribution of assets. But, yeah. uh, so, so Sandy was with me through that whole kind of like gut wrenching. What am I going to do with my life? I've just ended this. I'm now chasing this unavailable person and I'm still trying to get emotionally clear about who I really am and what I really want in a relationship. So three years into that, I had started this whole abstinence thing. I'm gonna take I'm gonna take a month off without an orgasm. And then it was like, well, let's go for two. Okay, let's go for like seven not even, months. Not even not even with myself. Not even with okay. my and no phone okay. calls. No phone calls with any man that's uh that's single, attractive, or nice to me. You know, other than, other than, well, no, because I could make these fantasies. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I was, I have so much, that was my, my drug was like making up what's not there. So any kind of attention. So like seven months, I was basically in a white padded room talking to women and old friends of mine. Ew. Ew. But you know, look, you can't intrigue your way with a woman into maybe a relationship if you're a gay. I mean, they could be my gay best friend, but but it's not, but but like with men, I could always be like, oh, but there's a little and a little, a lingering hug. And then it becomes oh, this is so meaningful. All that stuff yeah, that I There's no put. building up of like what all these things could mean. With like, right. Yeah. Like nothing. You were just trying to like blank slate it. Like right. I wanted, to, I wanted to recalibrate so that when I'm erotically charged, I don't just abandon who I am. And that's a yeah. hard yeah. lesson to learn. I don't know anyone yeah. who, if you sleep with someone, you will put up with a lot more shit. Yeah. And you will give up all the things you believe in yourself. I'm sorry, I gave up in all the things <laughs> I believe in myself. Because that that's yeah, I don't think that's uncommon though. Right. I think right, you're right. talking about it, which is great, but right, right. I so, almost think it can be worse, you know, when like a relationship starts out with like incredible sex because you just like ignore so many Oh yeah, things. after that first <laughs> sex thing when it's good, you're just like, Oh, I'm in this. You do that. <laughs> right, exactly. I just gotta turn it off. I mean, come on. I was with this guy. He lost his phone from during a hookup. And I got in his, I find my iPhone. And I found his iPhone for him after a hookup with somebody else. Like, yeah. like how? And then, look, we didn't have an agreement. There was no monogamous capsule or some sort of container. But I, you know, I would just play those Whitney Houston songs in the back of my head. <laughs> and it would just make everything okay. And it didn't matter. It's how, just us. It's just us. And it, that, that, those people don't count. And like this, I love that other guy, but he wasn't available or interested in that. And like, it wouldn't have worked. But I was, I was like, you know, coming off the Titanic of my marriage, and I'm holding onto the first piece of driftwood that came by. I mean, he was a decent yeah, piece. That's surviving. Yeah. Right, right. So what was interesting is then when I kind of cleaned that all out and went through another kind of withdrawal, 
I was really getting doing this deeper inner work to like find to really get clear about what would create intimacy for me and how yeah. would I really approach that. And then Sandy, I, I started having regular, like I call them sober, super slow dates, like no sex, yeah. just a oh, 90 minute date, maybe one phone call for 20 minutes during the week and then another date. No like okay. talking all the time or texting all the time and being cute. Like I need to hang out with you and like the litmus test of like, are we really compatible or am I making up? I can't be writing lyrics about you. I need to yeah. be with you. Right, right? yeah. So, wow. After a couple of these, and he actually met at like a, there was a pride dance on a ship, and he met like one of my dates because it was all these sober guys dancing, and so uh, and he was like happy for me. But because uh, after pride, I was at Fourth of July, I was over here in Jersey City with a friend, and we we're all he's with me because we would spend any major holiday together just to get through it as single men, like so that we're not like yeah doing something stupid like getting on grinder and meeting random people that aren't gonna you know feed us and uh and he was transitioning out of a boyfriend that was like he, he had his own story with that um but can we were I, can i i i don't want i don't want you to lose that thought but like at this point are you are you thinking at all about this person romantically well or... so, so here we are at i mean of course he's got he's got big arms and a nice rack he's like he's like a he works out. I mean, not rack, but you know what I mean. Like a oh, great. Bro. I love that. I've never heard that before. What, you never heard, heard another bro say I like your rack, bro. Yeah, I like that. I've... The pecs. You're talking <laughs> about the pecs. The pecs. No, I mean, look. He was very. He was also very Brooklyn kind of swagger, kind of. You know, we would like we would work out. He would show up with like denim jeans and a black dress belt. You know what I mean? It's just like totally <laughs> not gay. Totally like. Divorced dad sees his kids every other weekend. <laughs> dresses at Forever Forty One, you know, like kind of this weird, you know. But I liked, I liked he was authentically himself and kind of rough and tumble. But he was a hustler. Yeah, that's he's like a he's a talent manager. He's got to hustle all the time. Anyway, I thought he was cute. And it's Fourth of July. We're on the on the balcony of a good friends, and a bunch of us are all there, and we're watching the fireworks. And he comes up behind me, puts his arms around me, and I'm like, ah. Oh. And all my friends were like, are you and Sandy? Like, I'm like, oh, no, 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 we're friends. We're really, well, I don't know what kind of friends are. That was a long, that wasn't like a fireworks hug. That was fireworks hug. Yeah. You know? yeah. <laughs> like, oh, we were just, we're just here for each other. We're just here. Even though a part of me was like, ooh, I wanted to like, I kind of wanted to come over that night, but I'm like, well, like, you're my friend. You're my manager. Like, I can't, you know, all these like, no, absolutely yeah. not. Right. And at that time, he was staying in Hoboken at a friend's because he had some damage in his building, so his apartment would be fixed. Anyway, but I remember that moment because I was like, ooh, that really felt nice. That really, I mean, we, I would share everything with him. You know, like, it's at Christmas or New Year's Eve, and we're, like, at some place talking about, you know, we're good, we're fine, we're single, yeah. we're fine. You know, we're going to make it. Let's go play tennis, and let's go get some vegan whatever. And, uh, but then on my, it was, like, approaching my birthday, and, uh, you know, he he's like, you want to go out on a date? And I'm like, like a like uh, a date, like a date, date, like with a, I, I have a dating plan. Like I have to be clear. If you go out, there's romantic intent, and what are you looking? At? I have to have a whole yes. free interview before I answer that question. But I was like, well, uh, well, uh, so you want is with romantic intent? Like there could be like sexual undertones and intention, like intercourse, uh, right? <laughs> Not as like my friend or my fellow or my manager. He's like, yeah. I said, okay, well, I need to talk to my people. You need to talk to your people. I need to talk to my men's group. I need to talk to my sponsor. I need to talk to my therapist. I need to talk, you know, I need to call I the love, like, line. getting asked on a date 
and be like, you mean like there could be sexual undertones? Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> I just want look. I want to be because I, you know, like I've I've got a lot of these things where you go out on a date. It's like we're just hanging. It's cool. Yeah. Oh, I happen to be inside of you, but it doesn't mean anything, you know. And like my whole plan is like it's like you gotta get to you got nine weeks, nine to ten weeks till any kind of act of sodomy occurs. You can't just like, oops, we're doing it right <laughs> because I've done it that way, and it just completely clouds yeah. like whatever. And it's funny because like maybe two years earlier. You know, I had a birthday party and a bunch of my friends were there and he was introducing himself to all my friends. Hey, I'm Sandy. I'm Rich's best friend. I'm Rich's best friend. I'm Rich's best friend. And my best friend, Scotty, is like, what the fuck is this guy? <laughs> best friend bullshit. I'm like, oh, Sandy's just funny. He's just wacky. He's always so wacky and pushing. You know, but we were, we, I mean, I loved him and we were like good. We were good buddies. I think he wanted to be my best friend, but like, Scotty's been here since 2001. You got to like, <laughs> you can be like, back up. You could be the understudy, but you're not going to be the best friend, right? <laughs> but once he asked me out, we did like very slow, you know, dating and, you know, it, it was great. It was really great. And it was the first time I'd been in a relationship where someone really was consciously willing to do the work of intimacy. Yeah. Wow. Wanted to create something that was meaningful, not just, I mean, look, we both had plenty of experience. It's not hard to just walk down the street and pick up people. You know, you didn't. This yeah. was, we were old school. We didn't need grinder. You know, I mean, we've had it, but you could just walk down the street. Where you know, and you know how to do it. You just make eye contact, and then you do it. <laughs> you don't need a phone. The phone's so lazy. <laughs> Before there was grinder, it was called eye contact. You know. <laughs> but uh, anyway, yeah. So then, you yeah, know, that's amazing. Yeah, like yeah, I love the way you describe that. That. He was somebody like willing to do the work of intimacy. Yeah, I mean, look, we had some fights. He he was so clean. The one time I I cooked in his apartment, he like freaked out. He, he fell asleep during Netflix, and when he woke up, he's like, "What is this? What is this? What is this?" What I'm like, "What do you? Uh, 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 I just made dinner, and you fell asleep." And now, but you have to understand, this is a man who's never used in his history. I was, you know, we were all talking about it, different friends in every apartment. Like one friend was helping him move out of his apartment from the village before he moved up to Times Square. And he said, oh, we should clean out the, the clean out the oven. Cause you know, if you're gonna sell this, you, got, you know, people need to, he's like, oh, I haven't, I never used the oven. <laughs> yeah. In all the years I've been, I've never even opened it. I don't even know if there's anything in there. Like he's never, so, like, what, Carrie what? Bradshaw used to keep her shoes in the oven. Right, exactly, exactly. <laughs> I, opened, I opened his oven, his super fancy designer oven. It still had the plastic, zip tied unbelievable user manual and the little code that you would go to the website to register it had never yeah. nothing and, and the water between the fancy uh dishwasher and the i hooked up the water to the dishwasher you know all he didn't know if it would work i'm like uh because you haven't used it you've been here how long that's crazy yeah. he, he, he opened his fancy refrigerator and it's just all seltzer cans and like half a roasted chicken that's it awesome. <laughs> nothing <laughs> Very GQ. <laughs> right, 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 exactly. He just goes out. He, he, well, he goes out and smoozes all the time. He's always going out with people. That's all he ever did. So at what point, I guess, what year was this when, I guess, it started to started to go on the dates? There was the romantic intent. And oh, was, <laughs> I love the romantic intent. Like we're doing a sports sports game. And there was a the down. We was like, you know, tied. We got 20 minutes on the clock. I, I'm, try, I'm trying to, I don't want to lose the straight guys. Don't lose the bros. Don't lose the bros. Tits, vagina, consensual sex with women. Um, I was so, I was so pandering. I was so pandering. I, uh, it was 2019. 
2019. So we've been together, God, like a year and a half. Well, it feels like 20 years in the pandemic. Yeah. But uh, it's weird to know each other. It's weird to know. Like, I understand why someone, after three years of intense, like, hanging out, and you see all my, all my, all my damage and all my wounds and all my struggles for three years, like, we would call or text and share and all this stuff. And, it was weird because I'm like, I, I don't know. Are we going to be friends after this? Because you, you, now we're going to sleep with each other? And he, was, <laughs> he was cute, but I was still nervous. I didn't want to lose this. Yeah. But it actually is, the, the work of intimacy is different than the work of friendship. Like a friendship is like, I'm just going to throw everything out. But once it becomes intimate and there's like sexual uh, and emotional investment in a different, it's a different attachment. And a lot of other issue, a lot of other projection was coming out that wasn't going to come out with a friend because a best friend you don't care you know they're going to be there yeah yeah but yeah, with a partner sure. you're like uh I, you know well, i did they throw, still like me right or you yelled at me about the fucking food and the dish the, the dish is out but like we didn't have an agreement you can't yell at me about the dish you fell asleep while i was making the food you woke up and you're yelling <laughs> but, he, but he, i know that he had his own fear of intimacy with other men and his hyper kind of masculine overcompensation. I mean, in my in my kind of mind, I think all men are affected by toxic masculinity in different ways. That's it may true. come out over overcompensation, hyper masculinization, or it may come out as hyper feminization and super like snap, queen, girl, girl. But it, it some some of that may be authentic, but some of it may also be reaction to the, the messaging that men are given and that women give. And that society gives about how what it means to be a man. So, the kind of once we started getting closer, I could there were things that he would do to sort of push away, and we had to talk about it in couples therapy and group, and like slowly un unknot that. Yeah. And it was not I would not pretty. It was not pretty, and I was like I was I'll just be clear though. In all the fights we had, I was always right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was the spiritual one and he was the asshole. But thank God I was patient and loving. That's right. I, I had to he learn about... Lucky, he was lucky to have you. Right. He was so lucky to have you. But this is the thing I learned. Like, he was the hyper-aggressive one. Yeah. He would, like, intimidate and then I would evaporate. Yeah. I would just disappear because I'm spiritual. I'm going to zip the lip. But really, I'm silently scorning. I'm quiet and I'm hoping you <laughs> yeah. die. And it's just as toxic to sit there quietly judging someone as it is to verbally assault them. They're both kind of opposites of the same problem. Neither one of them creates that bridge of intimacy with another person. And so this whole journey with him was like the first time I've been in a partnership. Not that my first husband, I learned and grew with him to whatever. You're only going to evolve to the next place with the next person. So I don't want to invalidate the 14-year relationship we had. There were things that didn't work. And there were things that I, I still had to get clear about myself that wasn't I, I only could get clear. I got clear in the process I did, and it involved a divorce. And with him, it was like, God, I'm sweating after couples therapy. I'm just like, this is fucking hard. Yeah. yeah. I, I don't. I don't. I'm glad we're doing it, but like my best friend's like, really, really, is this? I'm like, is this worth it? I'm like, uh, you know. But I'm like, but the, the, he's willing to do the work. Yeah. Yeah. And and I like being with him, and he's great at tennis, and I like to spoon and and have you know sexual intercourse yeah i suddenly suddenly i'm like i'm trying to like speak like i'm now on npr i'm gonna change my language after the last you know hour of me ramming every word i can throw 
I sort of stopped. I know. I have a very like Terry Gross affect. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I'm more shock jock. I'm like, so talk about the fucking. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love that. Like, I I just think I don't know. I mean, I think so many relationships we have, and like you said, Rich, like it's really true. Like you can't discount those. They kind of make you, who you, you know, they, you learn and you, you develop as you go. And, but there's something really wonderful about like mature relationships where you do start to like, you know, you're, you're, you're looking at your own like coping mechanisms and like trying to break down your own boundaries and like feeling safe with someone to do that even when like you know your mind is like oh well they still like me like you right, know but like right, right that's huge that's I mean that's incredible and like people a lot of people never get to that you know yeah. and I think I think some of that is like you know hetero patriarchy and all of that where we're like uh you know just supposed to live our lives a certain way and uh couple off and not ask questions and yeah you know I don't know it's like for me it's really beautiful hearing about that even though i know you're saying like it wasn't easy you know like right it wasn't just an instagram feed with people like yeah, yeah <laughs> infographic yeah big biceps working out ropey rope <laughs> so like we've learned like a ton about how you started in comedy like what shaped you as a person like i think that's been so fascinating and then hearing yeah. how this relationship came to be like over such a long period of time and just like it has that cool moment of like you'd gone on dates in the night you know what i mean like that's just that is a cool thing like it's such a cool little it's like you know we went on dates in the 90s and i ran away and, and <laughs> i ran dashing through the streets and he found me again and he didn't tell me that i was that man and <laughs> it wasn't until we met in the room she's like you know we had dates in the 90s that's so like crazy. oh my god that was you and when I was moving out of my, when I was getting divorced, I was have all these journals from all those years. And one of the journals opened up and I could see his number on That's a post-it so pad with no, with no area code. That's how long ago it was. That's insane. That's so cool. Wow. Isn't that we, crazy? But we learned all this stuff and uh, Cindy sounds wonderful. Like your relationship sounded wonderful. Like, but I, I do know that he, he did pass away um, and he from from my understanding just from hearing you talk he pat he did pass away from covid uh, yeah yeah did. and uh i mean there's no like i guess nice way to talk about it but like what has your grieving process been like what was that process of of passing like during a pandemic and just something like having this type of mature relationship where you put the work in and all these things and just dealing with with all of that i mean i think at first it was kind of shock uh because we had been so careful and hyper vigilant and he wanted to work out at the gym so bad and i was like because he's like you know you go to the rack <laughs> you gotta keep the rack going and uh but i was like i i just think it's just not safe i don't think we can you know we and we talked about it in therapy and we went to the gym and did all this to investigation and he was also frightened like this doesn't look safe and uh but once he tested he was he had a cold he said well come over we won't go to your place we'll come over i'm like you know, we're in a pandemic, you know, and I have enough of my own personal boundary growth where yeah. that cold could be something else. And I'd love to take care of you, but we just don't know. So we tested, you know, tested positive. 
or false negative. It was like two rapid tests that were un that were positive, but inclusive. Like this it was yeah. like the first one they weren't sure. So he's like, well, I don't trust any of these tests. So then yeah. he had PCR. The next day it came back negative, and we're like, oh, well now what? And then later, four hours later, he calls me back. Like, oh my god, it's positive. I just he was so panicked he couldn't read it. And so then we went through this whole process, but in like seven days, well, six days, he five days, he coughed himself into a blackout. But I called 911 and they wouldn't take him because his vitals were still pretty stable. Wow. And two days after that, he was like 85% oxygen. And so he went to the emergency room and then like four days, three and three days after that, he could no longer speak. So oh I had God. texted him, I had like a last text of his, you know, the, 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 after he blacked out, I just stayed on FaceTime with him most of that weekend, just because he's like, stay with me, I'm, I'm afraid, you know, yeah. I don't know I'm going to wake up. And it was so vulnerable and he was so, this big, like hyper masculine guy was now just a little kid. He's like, oh my God, I don't want to die. I never spent my money. Like he'd saved all this money and made all, you know, and uh, yeah. And the last day it was like, um, I just texted him, hey, you want to talk? He said, well, I can't really, he picks up, he's like, hey, I can, I have like one sentence, you want to look at me? Because he was just so out of breath. Yeah. And, uh, you know, at that point, then a couple of days later, you know, I would send him texts, but he wasn't picking up. He wasn't responding to anyone. And then a few days later, he was on a ventilator, you know, and then from there, it was just induced coma and never came out. Oh, my God. He had four, he had four heart attacks on the 16th of March. So it was a 37-day process from diagnosis to his death. Uh, and I just had, the, the thing I did for support was I was having Zoom meetings every day with friends just to talk about the process. I was texting everyone. Yeah. It's a group text. Here's the latest 40% of saturation, 10% saturation, all this stuff, you know, all the little vital like jargon, medical all the jargon yeah. of what's happening with his blood and his oxygen and breathing, you know, and it, it became a way also I was being as positive. As I, could. I was giving the data with, with this little positive thing, but I was saying like, I'm, I'm sitting in the unknown. I don't really know. I know I want God or the universe to take him out of this, but I also know that I can't control this. Yeah. So I was willing to sit in the unknown, to sit in the discomfort of not knowing. And that's very scary to be in the unknown. Like, uh, it's like cause 37 days is like, I mean, uh, when Amber's dad passed away, it was a, a six months period, right, Amber? Six month mm -hmm. period. My father mm -hmm. was a 10 day period from diagnosis to passing away. And that quick time of just like where you're waiting on tests to come back and you don't know what's going to happen and just letting yourself sit in it and just be like, this is just what it is, was- Having no control. was like one of the said. scariest things to me. So I can't, I, so like I em empathize with you and it's just like, but being able to to sit in that is, I, I think a lot of people just don't understand. I think a lot of people fight against that, but being in the unknown and not knowing and knowing you have no control or power is, to me, it was a very terrifying thing. Right, I mean, I think because of all the, recovery and like men's like I'm in mankind project which is a men's you know uh kind of self-reflection group and one of the things we learn in the group is like when people are going through something you just let them share and they sit with it no one goes and hugs you and rescues you i mean you could hug at the end of the the meeting but you learn to just sit with the discomfort of what happened the wound from your childhood and how it's playing out today or how I'm showing up in my relationship and how I want to be a different man, but how do I break that pattern? I have to look at something that was really painful that I'm not looking at. Because that shadow behavior is coming from a belief from something that was traumatic from yeah. way, way back that I'm just projecting and playing back out now. 
So like in my relationship with, with Sandy, you know, I had to constantly stop. Like I can't control him when he was fully conscious. Yeah. Like stop doing that thing with the dishwasher. This is how you do the dishwasher. <laughs> like we couldn't, like, I just, I learned like a day at a time to like accept that like, this is who this person is. And I don't, it's not my job to make them a different person. Yeah. Right. And so now I'm in a situation where I'm like, oh my God, I really want this. But it's clear that I don't have that power. I have to practice. Yeah. yeah get out of the way. Because this is something that's not, it's not my process to command or control or dictate. And so yeah. work was like coming back to myself and saying, oh, well, why don't I just sit with the discomfort rather than trying to control, sit with the pain of knowing I can't control. That was like as horrible as that feeling is, it's freeing because I'm not holding on to something I can't really grasp. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Wow. And, you know, when he had those, the multiple cardiac arrests, you know, I was here on Zoom. I'm calling out Zoom. Everyone just gets on Zoom. We're talking. I'm getting updates. And I'm keeping a whole community of people that love him and love me in this process. Yeah. So it, I, I wasn't alone in it. Yeah. And wow. no, one was, no one came in like, hey, let's, like, no one was trying to fix it too. I set the tone to like, hey, we're going to come on. We're going to sit with the discomfort. No one's going to fix anything. We're going to just be here together. We're just going to feel and, it. And, and feel it and hold space for each other to, just, to experience what this is. Yeah. You know, it's, it was, I'm so glad I did that. Yeah. I've seen, people, I've seen people like in denial or going, well, whatever. And that's, I mean, I, I don't know. I've only, I'm only eight days into burying him. So who yeah. knows? I might go nuts in another week and be like, it's a hoax. You know, I don't want to be some crazy person. It's aliens, but it's, it's, it's lasers. <laughs> but, uh, lasers. <laughs> but, but right now I feel connected to the, you know, I, I went to the hospital. He was still warm. I put my hand on him. And I, you know, I made some prayers and I said, you know, thank you for this relationship. Thank you for doing, you know, going this far with me. I don't understand yeah. why you're going now, but I release you and I want you to be happy. And uh, I'm just grateful. I'm just so grateful that we shared our time and that, you know, the last fight we had in couples therapy, like the next day he called, he's like, Rich, I just, I want you to leave your laundry out. I want you to just dump, you can dump the laundry out and leave it. <laughs> He's like, I want, I want to be that man. I want to be that man that welcomes all of you. Oh, I want yeah. all of you with me, you know. And these stupid fights about these things are—it's like it's really about the vulnerability of like really receiving another person. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Are, for all that they are. Right. Yeah. Right. That's incredible. So I was so grateful for that moment, and uh, you know, so now it's like every day I have these zooms. Every day I have people over for eight days. I mean, I've stopped doing. I guess today is my first day, but I'm. You know, for an hour and a half to two hours to three hours, four hours a night, people just come on Zoom from all over my life. You know, and his some of his family come by too. You know, some of them aren't comfortable on Zoom. Like everyone has a different process of what they. For me, I'm like, bring the Zoom, bring the people. Let's talk yeah. about it. I'm gonna cry. I'm gonna laugh. We're gonna make jokes. There's all these comics coming in and making jokes. You know, people have come to my apartment, cleaned it out. You know, helped separate my recycling. Other comics are sponsoring me, like one meal a day. Each comic sponsors. Oh, that's so out. sweet. <laughs> you know, it's really sweet. But it's like allowing myself to receive help. You know, allowing myself to be seen. Um, you know, and letting his family have their process, uh, be supportive to it, but also just let them have their own version yeah. of whatever it is. Yeah. You know, and I might. That all sounds really healthy. It, it 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 it. I feel like I've cheated grief a little, but in that I'm not adding something to the pain of what's yeah. happening. I'm just like, this is painful. I'm not going to run something on somebody else or, you know, I mean, yeah. 
the tricky thing is I haven't had contact with my family since 2019. There was a whole fallout with because my parents don't believe in divorce. They're Catholic. You could be gay, but you can't be divorced. I mean, it was a long whole thing. So you yeah, know, stay in that gay marriage. <laughs> yeah, like you're going to stay in that marriage that is not condoned by God, but you're not going to break the bond. <laughs> it's like ah. It's like, you met, you divorced him, but we did not. So they continued this relationship. They moved oh, my wow. niece in with him. It was all this. And, you know, ultimately, none of that matters. Like, my peace of mind is not determined whether or not who's living in my ex-husband's house. I just felt, you could have asked me. It felt really like, yeah, you know, it's a boundary. There's a lot of boundary stuff. But in the Philippines, you just come to America, send all your money back home. Come to America, send everything home. Like, everything's about sacrificing for others. So this is not that big of a sacrifice, relatively speaking. So it doesn't yeah. seem like a big deal for them to do it without asking me. So that's a little cultural context, even though I'm like, hello, this is not appropriate. We were going to do family therapy. They're like, well, no, because therapy did not save your marriage. So we're not, you know, it was very like kind of, yeah. so anyway, I still love my parents. I just haven't had contact with them. But now they're reaching out. I'm like, well, now you want to talk to me in the middle of my the death of my partner. And I'm just like, I, I'm, I don't have the bandwidth to kind of, repair and do the reconciliation with them while dealing like, with this like just yeah. let's work on this and at some point we can take that on but that's not that's, that's not that first thing you know so mm -hmm. I, I don't know there's only eight i'm only eight days in so yeah. i'm getting up on mics i'm doing these shows i do on saturday nights 9 p.m eastern the laugh tour.com you can also <laughs> just follow my name rich campco but uh uh <laughs> Just had to, had to throw that in there. Uh, but but it's it's been very healing to be able to show up. I think as a comic, I mean, you guys know, like, you have to sort of drop it and be in the zone. Yeah. And and but I also don't deny that that's what's happened. I mean, the first show I did back in, I I opened with 15 minutes of just crowd work, brought up the next comic, and then each between each comic, I just started addressing what had happened, and it was like you know, it was freeing. It was it was dark, but it was freeing. And yeah, it's very cathartic. It's it is uh, it's so hard to explain to like people like when they would ask me like how could you do the material about your dad the night that he was diagnosed and the night that he's passed away and I was just like I couldn't not do it. It would have been too not. It would have been too obvious and too fake. It's like yeah, it didn't always work, but the catharsis I felt to do those sets and then get off stage and be able to just have I had some of the most powerful cries I've ever had. <laughs> in my life after some of those shows well yeah as soon as the show was done i'm like hey guys thanks so much god it was the hardest week ever i'm so glad you're here you guys be safe have a great time and give it up for all our comics and i really feel this like joyous high of like i did it i did it i turn off the zoom and i'm like having like the seizures convulsions over, and i'm just like convulsing crying i'm like i can't even like i black out into a, a, a crying fit for like I, it could have been it could have been a minute it could have been five days i don't know i just I, I just I, I allowed myself to feel it and go all the way in, knowing that I'm going to come out the other side. Yeah, yeah. Like I've done it enough in my men's group with all these other painful things. And you know, the funny thing is the the way I, the reason I ran away from Sandy is like, oh my God, he's got drugs, he's going to die on me. Well, my biggest fear is that I'm being in a relationship, become really close, and they die. Well, he did. And now, <laughs> yeah. I, now the universe is like, you're going to still have to do this lesson and face your biggest fear. <laughs> go at it. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. It's it's really like uh, hearing you two talk about like kind of like the visceral, like the physical reaction to grief too. I feel like, I don't feel like anybody's really done that on our show yet. Yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, and I think that's something too that gets, gets a little lost as well as we try to like shuffle people through their grief and like get them back to normal or whatever, you know, but it's like you, 
it, it is huge and that physical reaction is is as big and pronounced as the emotional and psychological one and i think it's great that you have allowed yourself to to go through those feelings and yeah 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 Yeah. i mean look i i've only learned that through the recovery through therapy through the men's group because the old me would be very i'm just so spiritual just gonna be really positive really positive and like and then i rob myself of the of like you know if you if you pull the chrysalis off of the of the caterpillar it never will fly because it has to chew and sweat and push the fluid through its body to get those wings to be yep. fully uh you know uh, uh, they can't emerge without the pressure of all that kind of uh work you yeah. can't i can't skip the grief or i'm not gonna be able to move on to the next it's gonna like i'm gonna be sort of hobbling around and not quite functioning so I'm just like let's let's just go in. I, I don't. I, let's, well, let's see how deep this water is. Let's go cry into this thing and see. Yeah. No, I think that's. I mean, I think that's really healthy. And I know you said like it's all the work you've done along the way has has made that kind of an e- not easier, but has prepared you in a way, you know. And right, right. I I yeah. I, I haven't done a simulation of death, you know. Right. But yeah, I, role I, play. Right. But we have done a lot of role play in my men's group of like having a second chance to say something to someone who's passed. Yeah. Or saying something to a bully that harmed you. Or saying to someone that you love that you broke up with, you're not in touch with, they disappeared. Or, you know, saying something to your child, your your, your younger version of yourself to kind of you know, like I, one of the things I did in my group, I had to go rescue myself. I was a kid. My dad would beat me, throw me in the room. I'd stare out the window waiting for policemen or firemen to come by. We're in the middle of nowhere. There's no police or firemen coming to rescue me from my, you know, freaked out father who's come to this country and is like under all this pressure. It has like a bleeding ulcer and whatever. It doesn't excuse what he did, but I understand culturally the kind of pressure of like, you're still learning English, you know, and you're asking me to teach you how to say this word, you know, you know it's like crazy. But, uh, you know, I climbed to that window as a fireman and rescued myself. Yeah. And when I yeah. did it in that process, my life shifted because I was like, oh, this whole time I've been responsible for myself. Not this unavailable guy. He's not going <laughs> to rescue me. And even Sandy, when I'm in a relationship with him, it's the first time I've dated someone. They're not responsible. Like, my happiness is not his job. It's not like, well, you are being a jerk about that dishwasher. So, like, I can't be happy until you own it. Yep. <laughs> See, that is, that's a trap. You're never going to be You're never going to be free. Yeah. Yeah. I still um, wanted them to own it. It's not like I'm like, oh, come, yeah. on. come on. You're like, I'm you, not a saint, but. Yeah, you did swat my hand away. And then you said, where are you going? Where are you going? I'm like, you just swatted my hand away. No, I still <laughs> I'm like, okay, we're not going to get into this fight. But but I know that the trap is me trying to win this argument. There's no, if yeah. I'm winning, I've lost, the, I've lost the relationship. I have to stop doing that kind of dynamic of yeah. proving a point. Because proving yeah. a point doesn't bring you closer. Proving a point doesn't give you intimacy. And, you know, it's avoiding the pain of like, oh, oh, I wanted this. It's not, you know, like I can't avoid the pain of his death now. I can't argue my way out. Like, oh, you're not dead. You're abandoning me. You just evade of intimacy so you die. Like that would be like a crazy, crazy coping mechanism, right? But, but really, it's like maybe it was his time. I don't really know. I can put a story on it. I just know the data is he is no longer physically in his body. Yeah. Rest, I mean, I don't know. I really don't know. This is a this is the new level of unknown. 
And my, I, I, the thing I see is like, I spent most of my life protecting myself from something that I don't even know what it is. Yeah. And I'm here now and I'm like, I spent, I don't know how many hours of my life clenched to protect myself from something that I couldn't protect myself from anyway. Yeah. Wow. Rich, this is incredible. Yeah. This has been, a, I love a, talking to you. Yeah. This has been a great conversation. I really appreciate you yeah, uh, coming you. on. Um, well, I'd love to have you back at some point, maybe further down the, cause like you said, it's only been eight days and you've like, you're handling this journey amazingly well and oh <laughs> he's cute come on yeah. he's adorable he's adorable so lovable oh yeah so the, yeah. the question we always ask before we get out and get everybody's plugs and where to find you is like a lot of the stuff is like oh, oh how you been doing during this process but like how are you feeling beautiful today? eyes how am i feeling today i yeah. feel Look, earlier today, I woke up and I'm like, well, it's been eight days. Thank God. And I have a seizure. And then I'm like losing it. And then I go to make a little Zoom meeting. Da, 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 and I'm like, I cried before. I, I called a friend, one of our mutual friends. And I just FaceTimed with him. I said, I really miss Sandy. You know, I still want to, I want to feel his big arms just sort of flopped on me. Yeah. You know, I'm not pretending that I don't, <laughs> I don't miss him. Like yeah. I, I have this pit of sadness that's right here. Because it's like it was real. Yeah. Yeah. But I, what I love is that it's okay to have all of it. It is. I don't have to run. I don't have to run away from the sadness. Yeah. I ran away when I was in the '90s. I didn't know you could you could sit with discomfort. Yeah. You know, I mean, it mm. caught up with me. So here it is. I'm not. I can't exactly say. Okay. You did not run fast enough. <laughs> if I had a little more cardio, I would have outrun this COVID thing. <laughs> right yeah it's, you know but it's really the humility to say you know what i surrender yeah. i if i surrender i'm free it's what i resist persists when i let go i'm like oh oh okay yeah Oof. it's sad it's sad there's no yeah. like oh, it is sad. I'm so glad i'll get new material from his death are you kidding me are you kidding me it's horrible yeah it's very sad i really appreciate you yeah being open and honest and, and vulnerable yeah i mean i think it's it's been wonderful to talk to you and I agree Winston we like if you want to come back at some point it'd be great to have you back oh I'd love it I'd love it I'd love it oh Rich where can people who have heard this and want to follow you where can they find you online or what are some things that you're doing if they want to oh yeah if you follow me at Rich Kiamko on Instagram R-I-C-H-K-I-A M as in Mark C as in Charlie O or the laugh tour.com T-H-E-L-A-U-G-H tour.com that's my weekly zoom comedy show we also have live shows out before zoom it was like outside and in, in the real world but it's yeah. like yeah we'll be going back in the spring you know here in jersey city and other areas outdoors but you know virtually you can just go to that and you'll you'll, you'll have meta here people can follow me and yep. you'll tag it yeah up. yeah we'll tag it up for sure. Okay. sure i'm gonna take a quick little pic of us oh yeah do it picture of it <laughs> That's so cute. Thank you. But that's where you can follow Rich. You can follow me at Winston H Comedy, WinstonHodges.com. Amber, where can people follow you? Uh, on Instagram at AmberJack86. And then uh, we've got our at Dead Dad Comedy Pod Instagram account. So please follow. Yep. And new episodes every Saturday. I've been Winston. She's been Amber. He's been Rich. And we'll see you all next time. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Thank you, Rich.